Well, so uh, good to see everybody here this morning, and I know that we didn't have uh, service last week, so now I'm going to do two sermons today. Just kidding. Some of you were like, oh no. But uh, we're so glad that uh, you were all able to make it out here this morning, and uh, wasn't that awesome, the prophet that was playing the violin as well? That's pretty cool. Never seen that before, but uh, anyways. Um, Just want to give you an update. We did get... um, course moved into our house over there off uh, Briar Hill and uh, so far every day has been like Christmas we've been unpacking stuff things we haven't seen in like six months wow I forgot I had this you know and some stuff we're like I oh, better get rid of that or why did we move this so but it's been uh, quite the experience I did hear a story of a uh, 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 store Santa Claus you know those Santa Clauses that are in the mall and uh, he had a little boy come up to him and sat on his lap and was telling him what he wanted for Christmas. And the little boy said, I want a train, a toy train to play with. And the, uh, the store Santa Claus there, he said, well, he says, now you do know that if you get a toy train, your dad's going to want to play with it too. The little boy thought about it for a moment. He says, Okay. And then Santa Claus began to ask the little boy, well, what else do you want? He said, I'd like to have another train, too. (laughs) We're going to be here this morning in uh, Micah chapter number five. And uh, we have a little mini-series going on here about uncommon Christmas. And these are some things out of God's word that um, aren't necessarily common to us, uh, stories that we would hear at Christmas time. But nonetheless, it still deals with the birth of Christ and kind of gives us the backstory of why did Christ come? Yes, he did come to save us from our sins. But if you understand what was going on in the nation of Israel, that this prophecy that was given, as we even heard this morning, um, many of the prophecies out of Isaiah and some out of here at Micah, um, these were words that were spoken to the nation at a time of, of distress and darkness in their life. So we're going to read here, Micah chapter number 5, and we're going to begin in verse number 1, and uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we do thank you so much uh, for uh, the God that stepped down. We thank you so much for coming here uh, to be born, to to take on flesh. Uh, We thank you for the fact that you grew in wisdom and stature, that you grew in favor with with man and that you lived a sinless life and you went to the cross. Thank you for the truth that we as people that trust you, that we can have that promise that all is well. Lord, we thank you so much for just your mercy that renews every day. Thank you for allowing us to gather here together. And thank you for giving us the body of Christ that we can be a part of. Lord, we are just grateful people, and during this time of Christmas, help us to reflect and remember about the sacrifice that you gave, that you became poor so that we might be made rich. We ask that you bless this time as the reading of your word, and may you speak to our hearts, and ask that the truth of the word will change us, and it'll help us grow in faith with you, and if we don't have a relationship with you, that today would be a day that we think about that and contemplate that and Lord may you draw people unto yourself we ask all this in Christ's name amen 
Micah chapter number 5, beginning verse number 1. The Bible says there, Now muster your troops. O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. This prophetic message that, I, that Micah here gives is no doubt about the coming of Jesus Christ. This exact prophecy was fulfilled for us in Matthew chapter number 2, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I think it's important for us to know the backstory of why this prophetic message was given. Here is Micah, and he is giving a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ that he was going to be born. Now, Micah was also alive during the same time that Isaiah was alive. And during that time, the nation of Israel was a divided nation. You had, there was so much division because they wanted their own king. And this, this section over here, ten tribes, they had their own king. And this section over here, they had their own king. And for 200 years, there was adultery, there was fornication, there was immorality running rampant in the nation of Israel. And God had had, had enough of it for 200 years. And God allowed the Syrian army to come in and lay to waste the nation of Israel. They encamped around the city and they besieged the city. They would not allow anybody to come in or out of the city. And the people would sit there in the city and they would literally starve to death. The Bible speaks about them eating their own children. That's how bad it was. And eventually after the morality was broken down, the nation of Assyria went in there, they took charge of the city, and they carried the people off to Babylon. The glory of Israel had been crushed. It had been laid to waste. There was nothing left of it, just ashes. And then a prophecy comes like this. 
and it says, hey, listen, a ruler is going to come. A ruler is going to come and is going to lead you. A ruler is going to shepherd you. And can you imagine what that meant to them? Somebody that their, their, their spirits had been crushed, and now they hear about a prophecy coming of a ruler, one that would rule, one that would bring peace, one that would destroy the Assyrian armies, as it says here. So it's important to understand that. So let's let Micah here, just for a few moments, tell of this wonderful ruler out of Bethlehem who will save his people and show us how wonderful a savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's notice a few things here. Number one, why Bethlehem? Ever thought about that? Why Bethlehem? What was so important about Bethlehem? Why? I mean, why didn't God just choose some other great city? Why did he choose the most insignificant little place in Israel? Why Bethlehem? Listen to what verse number two says. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. God says, I'm going to take the smallest little thing and I'm going to bring something great out of it. Bethlehem is scarcely worth counting among the clans of Judah, is what the Bible tells us here. Yet God chooses to bring this magnificent Messiah out of this small, little, insignificant place. Why is that? Well, one answer is the fact that David was of the David came out of Bethlehemite. He was a Bethlehemite. But it misses the point. The point of verse 2 is that Bethlehem is small. Not that it's great because David came from there, but it's because it's great because a king would come out of there, Jesus Christ, who would rule over Israel for all of eternity. God always chooses to do some, use something small and quiet, out of the way, and does something there that changes the course of history and eternity. Think about that in your own life. What has God used that may have been small and insignificant in your life to make a drastic change in your life? God is always looking for those small opportunities to do something great with your life. And here's what he did with Bethlehem. He acts this way because God chooses to receive all the glory from it. He doesn't want anybody boasting. Can you imagine if there was a mayor of the city in that, during that time? If the mayor would have said, hey, great, look, we're going to have a savior born right here. Hey, look, hey, look, look at us, look at us, look at us. But really, Bethlehem was a very poor, insignificant town. Think about the, the, uh, the innkeepers. Can you imagine if they would have known that the savior of the world was going to be born? Don't you think some of those innkeepers would have said, oh yes, don't you know? Hey look, come right over here. I got tickets to see the, the savior. He was born in my, in my inn right here. But he didn't do that. God chose for his son to be born in a barn. Think about the manger. 
God didn't sit there and choose some great craftsman to craft some grandeurous type of, of uh, a crib for the, for the baby Jesus. He chose just a little manger, something that a cow would eat out of. God always uses the small things in life because he wants to receive the glory. God is wonderfully free. God is not impressed by our bigness. He does nothing in order to attract attention to our accomplishments. He does everything to magnify his glorious freedom and mercy. And so God here chooses Bethlehem, a small, insignificant place, because a great ruler was going to come out of that. And he does it to receive the glory. Think about your salvation. When you came to Christ, what did you have to offer him? Nothing. We came to him empty-handed. We came to him simply, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need your mercy. And we fell down before him, and we received him as our Savior. None of us could boast and say, yeah, God chose me. God did this. God allowed me to be saved because of da, 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 da. That's not the case. It's all because God receives the glory from it. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. What this uncommon ruler will do. Notice in verse number four. He says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Listen to what he offers. First of all, it says that he will stand. He won't lie around waiting for us to serve him. He will be on his toes. He's alert. He's working for those who trust him as their shepherd. He's standing there. He's always there helping us. And can you imagine this prophecy? Here's a nation that's crushed, that's ruined. And Micah says, this ruler is going to stand for you. This ruler is going to be somebody who is going to be there for you. He's going to be a shepherd to you. Second, it says that he will shepherd his flock. He will not leave us to find our own food. Aren't you glad that Jesus just doesn't leave you on your own after you trust him as Savior? He doesn't say, okay, great, that's done. He continues to lead us and continues to shepherd us. He continues to lead us by the paths of still waters. He continues to lead us to the greener pastures in life. And Jesus is our shepherd. He'll lead us. And there will be no need unmet in Jesus Christ. Everything that we need in life is met by Jesus. Thirdly, he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. His good intentions for us will not be hindered by a lack of strength. I want you to think about this. This is a prophecy for this nation of Israel, that there's going to be a mighty ruler that's going to come out of this small, insignificant town called Bethlehem. And all their needs will be met. He will be a shepherd, and he will do all of this in his strength, the Lord's strength. How strong is God? You ever thought about that? Usually there's that uh, stupid question that says, can God make a rock so big that he himself could not pick it up? That's foolish. 
But how strong is God? How strong is He? His strength comes directly from who He is, the Lord. It's in the majesty of the name of the Lord, His God. God is so strong that He is able to save the worst of sinners. God is so strong that He is able to lead us that have no direction in life. God has the ability to, to, to work in men's hearts and change them and direct them. God is so strong that He's able to speak and there was light. God is so strong that the Bible says that He contains all of the world, all of the universe by the power of His name. Every, all of that is just held there. God is so strong. He does it out of His strength. The strength of the Lord is omnipotent strength. Therefore, if you are trusting in Christ, guess what? You have omnipotent strength in the Lord. The times when it's dark, the times when it's distressed, the times when everything's falling apart, guess what? We run to Christ who is that strong and mighty and high tower in the time of trouble and we rest in him because he has omnipotent strength. He will overcome every obstacle in your life to your purification and joy forever. The Lord is always at work in that way. Fourth, notice that he shall be great to the ends of the earth. There will be no areas in the earth that the, that, the Lord, that the earth does not know his name. There will come a day, the Bible tells us, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will come a day when Christ himself will rule. He will step foot again on the Mount of Olives and he will rule for a thousand years. And he will rule, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. And can you imagine this prophecy during this time to this nation of Israel who is left in dust and ashes? And here they are, and they're hearing about this ruler that's going to come, one that the Bible says here that it says in verse number five, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. So he is to be great to the ends of the earth. And finally, it says in verse 5, beginning in verse 5, he will be our peace. Micah spoke of peace already in Micah chapter 4, verse number 3. He said, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation." Neither shall they learn war anymore. Isn't that all you hear about when you turn on the news today? You hear about war this, war that. Some crazy guy is collecting nuclear warheads like fine wine. I mean, it's just unbelievable. All of this war that's going on. Well, the Bible says here that Christ is our peace. And there will come a day when there will be peace on the earth. One day the ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords will make that a reality. He will be our peace. So how about you? I end this message with a question. Do you have peace? Do you have peace in your life? Peace in the deepest part of your soul. You see, before there can be peace on earth, there must be peace in your own individual life. There has to be that peace, that calming peace, that inner peace, that, that deepest peace that reaches inside. 
Micah knew of this very well. He talks about it in previous chapters as he reads, he talks and he says that he confesses his sin before God. And he asks God for forgiveness of his sin. Micah knew about this peace. So what is the greatest need of Christmas time? It's to know Christ. It's to know the Christ, the ruler out of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 7, verse 18, verses 19, sums up this piece very well at the end of his prophecy. Listen to what he says. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Can you say like Micah that you have experienced God's peace? That you have experienced the removal of your sins? That they've been cast into the depths of God's sea? Can you say for sure that yes, God delights in steadfast love in my life? He has shown steadfast love in my life. That's what Micah knew. Micah knew about that because he knew of a ruler that was coming out of Bethlehem. He knew that this ruler was going to bring peace. He knew that this ruler would bring things so that all would be well. Can you say that in your own life? Let's pray. Father, do thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love towards us. Thank you for your steadfast love that's always pursuing after us that... Even though we go astray, God, you're always like a shepherd, a tender shepherd, bringing us safely back into the fold. God, I pray that during this Christmas time that we will continue to remember that you have brought peace. You have given us the greatest gift, and that was your son, Jesus. And we thank you so much for it. I pray that you just continue to be with us today and help us share this wonderful message with others that there is a ruler that came from Bethlehem to bring peace. We ask all this in your name.